0: you are good Jesus wherever we're at however this week went Jesus you are great and you are good so I pray that as we turn to your word and as we turn to ourselves maybe look in the mirror a bit God I pray that you would help us to understand how we receive you every day Jesus, we, some of us met you a long time ago, some of, some of us haven't met you yet, And but Jesus, everybody has a chance to see you today, and I just pray that as we talk about how people in history responded to the good news of Jesus, how they responded to the message that God's not mad that he loves the earth, and he loves it so much that he's going to come down to it, and he's going to humble himself. He's going to die for it. God, I pray that you would help us to not hear stories. Help us to not hear history. Help us to hear our story within it. In Jesus' name, amen. guys can have a seat.
1: Are they here? As your advisor, I feel compelled to communicate my hesitation about this meeting. Do you even know these men? We do not. So why even take a meeting with them? They are stargazers, they are Gentiles. These men have valuable information. We play our cards right, they will help us infinitely more than we can help ourselves. Send them in, gentlemen. Greetings, welcome. Welcome. My staff tells me you've come a long way. This is true. We've come from the East. Is that right? And I trust your journeys have not been too difficult. They're like most journeys. Some good, some bad, but mostly long. (laughs) So tell me, as a man who doesn't do much journeying myself anymore, what is it... ...that would inspire men such as yourself to undertake such a long trip. Well, as I'm sure you know, word has been spreading about the birth of a messiah. We witnessed his star, and so we have come to worship him. Is that right? A new Messiah. I must admit, I feel a little... ...silly... This is the first I'm hearing of this. It's said to be in a place called Bethlehem. Do you know where we could find this place? Lucky for you, Bethlehem is only about ten miles away. Ten miles? Ah, that's such a relief. After so many miles, ten seems just around the corner. Isn't that the truth? I know you're eager to resume your journey and witness this new Messiah firsthand, but please, before you go, allow me to be a good host and offer you a drink to the Messiah, to the new King. Would you do me a favor? Of course. Once you have found this new king, would you come back and tell me exactly where he is so that I might have the opportunity to go and worship him myself? Consider King Herod.
2: Safe travels. Interesting. All through this series, we're going to see you know portrayals of some of these events in ways we've never seen them before. Um, I don't know if it happened that way. Could have something similar to that. Probably the conversation happened. We're going to see that in our in our passage today. Um, how many have seen Doctor Seuss's uh, Christmas classic "How the Grinch Stole Christmas"? Raise your hand. Yeah, where, where the Grinch tries to steal Christmas, right? Unsuccessfully, of course. Um, and which is essentially what Herod is trying to do. You know, Herod in in essence is trying to to steal Christmas. He's trying to to thwart the Christ Child from growing up. Um, it's already too late to thwart him from being born, um, but now he's 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 bent on. Putting a stop to this new king, who's who's been prophesied about, who's who's coming to light now, um, in these moments. Now, um, you know, while the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day, Herod the Great remained hard-hearted, and, and remained um, uh, out to, to take care of this threat to his throne. Um, ultimately, of course, Herod ends in defeat. Uh, you know, Herod was a historical person; the Grinch was a fictional person. Um, although some of us may have Grinches in our lives, uh, but this particular Grinch was, was fiction. Uh, Herod was a historical person who played a significant role in, in the events of Christ's coming, which we're going to see today. Um, now, this is important, I think, to make note of because, because there, is, there are adversaries in our, all over our world to the truth of the gospel and to the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, all over our world right now, the biggest face of, of the adversary is, is in the Muslim religion. Uh, they're not afraid to kill people for what they believe. Uh, and it's likely happening in our own country. Uh, but, but here's the thing. We can look at that and we can get discouraged and we, can be, and, and, uh, you know, we grieve with the families but, that lose. But, but here's the thing we need to remember. God is always working and God will never be outdone. God will never be stopped. He cannot be. And, and the events that we see today are proof of that. Um, we're going we're gonna to make three observations in, in our passage today. Um, I'm going to give you some history, a little bit of background of King Herod the Great. And uh, while I'm doing that, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 2. That's going to be the passage that we're in this morning. Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Um, now, historians have filled pages of Herod's life uh, with with things about what he was about and how he, he lived his life. Um, his accomplishments were barbaric, political, manipulative. Um, he was born in 73 B.C. to a family who had a habit of siding with the strong powers of the day. Herod's grandfather and his father, both named Antipater, had served as military commanders in their homeland of Idumea, which was a tribal state just located to the south of Judea. Now, the military pressures over the years caused Herod's ancestors to adjust to changing political currents in ways that always found them siding with the greatest power. So, so um, Herod's ancestors always wanted to be that second greatest power. You know how they say you should keep your friends close and your enemies closer? That's how they operated Um, They always found themselves siding with whomever was in power at that particular time. Herod demonstrated this political trait and skill as he came on the scene when Rome was in power. Roman historians show that Herod's father and Herod were assets to the Roman military machine. Both men were rewarded for their faithfulness to Rome with positions of power in areas under Roman rule. When Herod's father was killed by poisoning in 43 BC, Herod became... Uh, began to emerge as his father's political heir and successor under the Roman umbrella of power. And while serving as appointed governor in the region of Galilee, Herod made a name for himself by putting down a rebellion in that area and stopping further dissension around Jerusalem. This type of action fit the prototype of what Rome called client rulers. Client rulers were those in authority who chose to align with a military superpower such as Rome rather than become the next victim of battle. They could have taken over this area, um, but then they would have just you know, been taken over by Rome and overpowered by Rome. So instead, it's, hey, let's be partners in this. And so that's what, uh, that's what Herod did. Uh, a client ruler was thus an individual who could rule the people under the authority of Rome and its political power while still having freedoms to do as he wished as long as the uprisings and the dissension was controlled. Um, And in 37 BC, Herod officially began his rule as king of the Jews. That was Herod's title. It was a rule that would last 33 years, Herod ruled harshly and with great impact as king of Judea, though he never was or could be the rightful heir to the throne. Of course, we know that that man had to come from the line of David, which is where Jesus comes from. Only one coming from the line of David could be fully, uh, who was fully Jewish could qualify for such an honor. One had to have more than granted power to be the true king of the Jews. One had to be born king of the Jews while Herod was in power. He garnered quite a reputation for being ruthless in his attempts to remain in complete control as the appointed king of the Jews. He was brutal, shed blood at the drop of a hat in his attempt to defend his throne. Um, It was not beyond Herod to murder his own family members if he thought a coup was underway. In fact, he killed his favorite wife, which I read this week. I thought that's interesting. He killed his favorite wife. um, His own sons and others in order to keep a firm grip on his kingdom. He was threatened often. Maybe he lacked self-confidence. I don't know. But in order to keep all of that, he was a very, very mean, ruthless man. And when Herod was not killing off potential threats to his throne, he was building his kingdom and expanding his influence throughout the region. He was wealthy beyond belief and constantly taxed those under his rule. However, something good that he did was there was a famine in the land during his rule and somehow he provided the needs for the people in the kingdom. So, so, you know, he was a good manipulator. And he did. He manipulated the people. And one of those things that he used to do that was to provide for them. Now, it was Herod who rebuilt the great temple in Jerusalem as well as cities with structures that still stand to this day. From his building projects at Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast to his summer palace at Masada along the Dead Sea cliffs near Gedi. I have a picture of that one. Right, um, that is Masada. Now think about this. You know, those are buildings, right? Those those little small black things are doorways and windows. So there be that's how big that rock is. And you look at these structures down here. I mean, I don't know how many men probably lost their lives building this thing for for King Herod, but but. He, he had a, had a lot of power to be able to build things like that. It, it, it's quite a formidable structure, isn't it? How could any army ever think of overcoming that? Uh, well, well defendable. Um, and, and it says that that was actually his summer palace. So um, maybe it didn't have heat. It was too cold in the wintertime. I don't know. Um, Herod had worked too hard politically and militarily to give up his position to a new king. He has something in mind that he's going to do, even to one who would be born king of the Jews instead of granted a kingship. Such a backstory from the history books leads us to our story from Matthew chapter 2. Now there are two places in the entire Bible where Herod's name is mentioned. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, which gives us the timeline of Jesus' birth. Um, it says uh, in Matthew, or Luke chapter 1, verse 5, that in the days of Herod, these things occurred. So we have this timeline between, uh, you know, about 40, 30, well, about, let's see, Herod, I think he, he died in 4 BC, um, something like that, so right in, in, during his time was when when Jesus was born, and then when we go to Matthew chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Now we're going to make three observations as I said this morning. The first observation is this. God is always working. God is always working. It seems logical, but how often do we forget this? How often do we forget? The long-awaited prophecy of a Messiah born in Bethlehem had finally come true. The one born king of the Jews was living right under Herod's nose and Herod didn't even know it. When Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes together to help him understand what the prophecy said about the birth of the coming Christ, the members of the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees who were under Herod's thumb told him of the prophecy from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Prophecy of the coming Christ. Not only did the prophecies of old proclaim a a coming arrival of the Messiah, but also the heavens declared the coming coming arrival, his advent with a star in the sky. These wise men, these magi of the east, they were studiers of the sky. And, and when something big, something you know, abnormal occurred in the sky, they looked for something happening on the earth. They saw it as a sign, and in this case, it truly was a sign of God moving on the planet. So these guys left their homeland, left everything, um, and, and we know that they came from Babylon, um, gentlemen gentile men of power means and intellect come searching for the messiah to do what does it say to worship him interesting have you all have you ever wondered about that pagan kings why would pagan kings even know of these prophecies for one why would they come all of this way to actually worship unless they truly believed that he was the Messiah. And if they truly believed that he was the Messiah, how then did they come to know this? Honestly, until this series, this year, I I have never even made this connection or or thought about these things. You see, in the Old Testament story from Daniel chapter 2, there's a young Jewish man named Daniel who is in Babylon. Things aren't going so well for him and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're trying to maintain their faith in a pagan country. But at one point in time, Daniel rightly interprets these dreams that King Nebuchadnezzar had had. Of course, given this power, this knowledge from the Lord God himself. And King Nebuchadnezzar, after this, promotes Daniel within his kingdom. Now notice, this... Exiled Jewish man living in Babylon is honored with responsibility and influence and this this land where the ancestral roots of these wise men were established centuries before Let me read for you Daniel chapter 2, verses 47 and 48. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. This is crazy to me. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its, who? Wise men. Oh, yes. So what do you think Daniel taught these wise men? He taught them the Old Testament. He taught them about the God, the creator of the universe. And, and these stories, these events are, are passed down for centuries, even in the nation of Babylon, which shows me that God is working. God was working then. Everybody in, in Jerusalem and in Israel, they were being occupied by Herod and, and by Rome. You think they thought or felt like God was working? Maybe not. But was He? Yes, He was. He was working. And I, we can feel that way in our own lives. You know, things aren't going well, or you, know, you, you lost a job, or you can't get a job, or, or you know, there's, there's more months than there is paycheck. Maybe relationally things are hard. Maybe, I don't know, whatever it is that seems to be warring against your soul and trying to convince you that God doesn't care about you. He's forgotten about you. He's not working. It's wrong. It's It's a lie because He is working. He was working hundreds of years before. Why? Maybe... Maybe God had Daniel... Now, I don't want to get ahead of of my story here, but maybe God put Daniel in exile for the sole purpose of one day that information that he taught those wise men would be passed on to their sons and their sons, and and their sons would see a star, and they would head from the east to find this Messiah which they had been told about so that they could be the provision that, that, that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were going to need in these early stages of, of his life. God is working. So number one, we need to remember that he's working. Number two, we need to remember that he's working in the details of our lives. You know, I know I've said this before, but there is no such thing as coincidence in God's economy. God was working out the details, and He's working out details today. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Keith talked about how um, there's this ongoing conversation in our country about Syrians coming here, uh, us bringing Syrians, refugees to the United States, and, and and how you know there's several parts of that discussion. One is we shouldn't because we don't know if they're safe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 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 for those that do come here as immigrants. What greater chance do they have to hear the good news of Jesus Christ than when they're here? And, and we take missionaries. We have missionaries in North Africa. We have missionaries around the Mediterranean Sea, in Spain. And, and what are they doing? They are teaching stories and events of Jesus Christ to people who we may write off. Maybe, maybe you know, these people would have written off all of the Babylonians, but not God. And, and not only that, but God's using them in His story of redemption. It's like He wants to use us. God is working in the details of our lives. So after this exile was lifted... In Babylon. Many of the Jewish people decided to continue living in that area because they'd gotten married, they'd had families. God told them to do that get married, raise families. These Magi heard these stories and the prophecies. They were students of philosophy, of cultures, of religions, as well as students of the sky. And now there's this star shining brightly. And it was a sign in the heavens that led to the one foretold throughout the generations of Jews who lived in their land. These wise men would follow this star and seek out this one who was born King of the Jews. Just as the prophecies had foretold. Now of all the people in Matthew chapter 2, these Gentiles from the east were the only ones to worship Jesus. What a sad state of affairs that is. So what is our response to the king? What is your response to the king? Today, in this life, in this moment, in this season, in this stage of your family, what is your response to the king of the Jews? To the Christ child? Well, number three is how do we respond to his work? And in our text today, we have three groups of people and and three different responses to the birth of Christ. Um, Herod was troubled, the Jewish chief priests and scribes were indifferent, I believe, and the pagan wise men were ready to worship. It's not hard to see those same kind of responses of people today when it comes to celebrating the Christmas season, is it? There are those who are troubled at even the uttering of Merry Christmas. Uh, there are those who, who don't want anything like that in their schools. Can't even mention... I, I read about a university this week that, that, that they sent out this letter. Now, it wasn't a formal, this is how things are, but it was, a, it was strongly suggested that there were certain types of parties that they were not allowed to have on campus. And it was weird. It wasn't even just religious things. It was just like, are you, you people have become so politically correct, you can't even say anything. And then there are those who worship. So what, what is your response? Is your response that of the Jewish leaders? A, a response of indifference or apathy? I hope not. You see in verses 4, 5, and 6... It says when he had called together all the the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the people's, the the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they knew exactly where. They knew the prophecy. They know the Old Testament. And, And they tell him in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. And they read that right there. Who will be the shepherd of my people Israel? Now, I would have thought that if there was a hint of this coming true for the religious leaders of, of Israel and Jerusalem of the day, that they would be out the door and headed down the street looking for the Messiah who had been promised centuries before. But not these guys. Um, we're told nothing about their response to hearing the news that that, that, that the Christ that Christ had actually been born. Um their hope of eternity. The salvation of the world. Of all mankind. And these religious leaders just seem to, matter-of-factly mention it. Maybe they were afraid, I don't know. I think, personally, I think they were distracted. They were so involved in in, in staying, if you'll pardon the expression, in bed with, with Rome and, and with King Herod that... They didn't want to mess that up. They were comfortable. They had some power in town. They just wanted it to be that way. So the response was of indifference. Now, do you look at the details of your life and just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, that was a great day. Coincidence running into so-and-so. You know, kind of apathetic about the movement of God in your life, which he's, he's working every day. I hope not, and if so, be challenged today to not respond to the Christ child as the religious leaders. Now contrast that, of course, with the response of the wise men, with the Magi. They were fulfilling the promise made in Jeremiah 29.13 where God said, you will seek me and find me. You will find me. When you seek me, you will find me. And that's what they were doing. They were seeking the Christ child you know we often think where was God when I was going through that horrible time or why didn't God come and make it better honestly there, I don't think there's an answer to that question that, 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 that I would be okay with um, because if God said well I, I did this or I allowed this in your life so that, that this outcome could happen I think I would say well couldn't we have done that a little differently and I think the answer to that would be no No, there needed to be pain in your life or there needed to be this conflict in your life or there needed to be this in your life in order for me to get you from here to here which is where I wanted you. I mean, maybe we're supposed to, be, to, to have a more active role in this process. I mean, these wise men from the east were seeking the newborn king. They, they took probably weeks to prepare for this journey. They packed everything up, and they probably second-guessed themselves a few times. And like, do we really want to do this? Do we want to leave our families for however many months this is going to take? And their answer was, absolutely, yes, we're doing this. We're actively going to seek the Messiah. Are you actively seeking the Messiah today? I hope so. I sure hope so. Now, as they get close to Herod's territory, Herod probably started hearing rumors that were floating around about these men of influence had come from the east. I mean, I'm sure words still got around. It wasn't as rapid as Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff. But I'm sure he heard things. And most likely, these magi were affiliated with lands where great armies harbored. And that fits into Herod's response because his response was troubled he was troubled. And something that's curious to me is that, that it wasn't only Herod that was troubled, but if we look at verse 3, it says all Jerusalem with him was troubled. Were they also comfortable now and okay with this occupation that they weren't looking for the coming Messiah anymore? I mean... How much of a tendency do we have in our culture today to be lulled to sleep with materialism and comfort and those sorts of things and, 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 and we're just like a frog in a pot of, in a pot of water. We're, we're, we're getting cooked and we don't even realize it. Maybe that's where those people were. But I'll tell you what, Herod hadn't, hadn't gotten to his place and position of prominence over the decades by being dumb. He had those men into his palace and he said, hey, tell me what you know. And when, when they told him, when he sort of figured out that this had something to do with the king of the Jews, then he's like, hey, hey, I got a great idea. When you find him, when you find exactly where he is, come tell me because I want to go worship him too. Now, I, I probably would have raised an eyebrow if I were one of the magi, but, you know, okay. Maybe, maybe he is an okay king. Maybe, you know, they're from out of town. They don't know all of the history of of Herod in this region but Herod is troubled and in, in verse 7 as our event goes on then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact the exact time the star had appeared remember that it's going to fit in somewhere later he sent them to Bethlehem and said go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that I too may go and worship him After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Herod milked them for information. He said, come back. And then he has this plan, of course, because he wants to put a stop to this. He wants to kill this king of the Jews. But before he can do that, the magi hear some other news. Now, when, when the Magi get to where Jesus is, what is their response? What is the, let's, let's read their response. Um, their response was, these kings worshipped. In verse 10 it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Uh, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, Herod has evil intent and God is working in the details. God says, no, you guys aren't going to go back and report to Herod. You're going to go home a different way. And they do. But when they come and face the Christ child, they are overwhelmed with emotion. They fall on their faces and they worship him. And they give him gifts. Now they give him three gifts, right? They give him a, a gift of gold, a gift of frankincense, and a gift of myrrh. Now there's, there's two sort of, I don't know, traditions that we have that don't really coincide with Scripture. Okay, one, one is the fact that, um, that there were three kings. You know, right, we three kings of Orient are? Right? Um, nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three. There could have been. There could have been a hundred. We don't know. But, but you know, honestly, um, we three kings of unknown number doesn't really fit in a song. You know, so, you know, um, I, I only mention that because I think it's good to know. The, the other thing about this, uh, about some of our traditions... Have you ever seen a Christmas pageant without the three kings in it? Ever? No, they're always there. Have you ever seen a nativity scene without the three kings in it? No, they're always there. Now, our nativity scenes are generally a stable, right? But 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 history doesn't even necessarily show that that was true. It was likely a cave, but you can't put a cave on the dining room table. So so a stable works because there was a manger. And, and you see, uh, surrounding this, this event of Christ's birth, you see angels, and there were angels. You see shepherds, and there were shepherds. You see Mary, and you see Joseph, and you see the baby Jesus, and you see the Magi. But I'm telling you, as I look at the timeline, they weren't there. Now, they're an important part of the Christmas story, which is why I'm fine with it being in children's pageants. Okay? But we need to recognize that we're talking a, a year or more here between the time the star was seen and they actually showed up on the scene. And one of the reasons we can, we can, we can know that is because it says right here... Um, wow, well, I just blew through a whole bunch of notes and I have no idea where I'm at. But I'm going to read verse 13. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel... No, 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 no,
0: no, that's not it.
2: Yes. On coming to the house, they've already rented a small flat in Bethlehem, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and and are staying there. Because Herod was, was intent on finding out when this star showed up. That detail is important here in a few minutes as well. Now now these three gifts, okay, which is why we think they're why and, and we don't even know what their name is. I mean you can there are people that think they know what the king's names were, right? I don't know what century that came in to play. Maybe twelfth, I don't know. When they started doing Christmas pageants probably. What is it? Gasp Jasper and does anybody know the, the names? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I was in a I was in an opera one time when I was in junior high over in Scottsbluff that had those three kings in them. I knew the name then, but it was further than last week, so I forgot. Um, Okay, the three gifts that they brought. Gold, which we know gold. It's a precious metal. Frankincense, the name kind of tells you incense. It was, you know, pretty smelling stuff. And then there's this myrrh. Does anybody know what myrrh is? Myrrh is a resin that is used for burial. Now, that's, to me... That would be like bringing a coffin to a baby shower. Right? I mean, what an odd gift to give somebody. Myrrh. Now, as we look back on this, it's like, it's obvious, right? I mean, we know why Jesus came. We know why, he, he, why God was, was with us and became incarnate so that he could die. And, and that, that particular gift was provision, a future provision. I just think it's really cool how God continues to work through all of the details, every little detail. Why did they bring myrrh? I don't know. Uh, maybe, and it, and it could be a gift that, that people do bring for a king, an emperor. Um, maybe it's, uh, it was expensive. I don't know. I didn't do any research on that this week. Now, Herod and Jesus are the kings in our text. One was granted the title while the other was born The king. And, and the sovereignty of God, again, prepared the next steps of their journey for the Magi when he appeared to them in a vision, said, go a different way. And then when when the kings didn't, you know, return the RSVP that Herod had given them, he gets ticked, he gets irate, he gets mad, really mad. And and I don't know why it would, would would, what would keep him from just taking up a garrison of, of Of Roman guards and marching the 10 miles down to Bethlehem and just, you know, killing everybody. But before he could do that, because he did that in a way, it says in verse 13: When they, the Magi, had gone, and an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. That's Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, God is supernaturally working in the details of life. I'm sure there were people that thought, Well, how, how, come, you could, how come you could say that Jesus came out of Egypt when he came out of Bethlehem? Well, this is how and and when you think about it, all of it's like have you ever had one of those times when you thought, "Wow, it's just what a coincidence all of this stuff just fell into place you know we we didn't have enough money to buy groceries this week, and lo and behold there's a there's four hundred dollar bills in the in the mailbox that somebody gave us, just out of the blue. who knows where that came from. Have you ever had that happen to you? I would venture a guess to say yes. Most of us have, have had something like that happen. It happened to, to Joseph and Mary. They got to go to Egypt. They don't have time to, to withdraw from the bank if they had anything in the bank. What do they have? Gold. Their needs are met. God provided. Even centuries before, he was working on that detail. Now, your conclusion has to be the same as mine. God is working in the details of life. And He hasn't stopped. Because He hasn't come back yet. <laughs> when He comes back, we can say, He's done working here. Because He will be. That's why I get so much comfort concerning the hope that we have in Christ. Christ because he cares about the
0: details.
2: (laughs) He's working in the background of your life and in mine. You sitting in this room today, hearing this today, could be one of those times where he says, yes, that's where I want you and this is what I want you to hear. So what does Herod do? He missed him, didn't find him. He's not at the house that that he probably found where he was at. So what did he do? Well, he pinpoints the date which the Magi had given him, and he sends a crew out, and they kill every two-and-under boy in town. I can't even imagine. Imagine. You know, and there are hard things that happen in your life and in mine, and there are tragic things that happen in this world. And I think, God, how could you allow that to happen? I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is he's bigger than I am, and he's good, and he's right, and he's never wrong. And in searching to kill Jesus, Herod kills all the male children two years and under in Bethlehem, which sounds kind of similar to some other details of another king or pharaoh who was trying to kill another infant who was going to be big in God's economy, who he is working out details through. Now, who would ever think that putting your child in a basket and floating him down the river would be the best choice? But that's what God told him to do. And they did. And, And what happens? Moses grows up and through a whole huge long story and events leads the nation of Israel out of exile out of bondage from Egypt and that's exactly what the Christ child does for you and for me he is leading us in an exodus from our sin the question is what is our response to him King Herod of course eventually lost all he thought he controlled King Jesus was is and always will be in control of all so my thought this morning is, kind of a final thought, although I still have a page of notes, is you just well stop fighting it. Just give it up. Because you're not going to win control anyway. Just surrender it all to Jesus. All of it. Your fears, your, your hopes, your dreams, your family, your future. So where are you? What is your response? Is, is your response that of Herod? Is it troubled? Are you afraid of what Jesus might do to your life, that he might somehow mess it up or ask you to do something you don't want to do? Take control of it? Maybe your response is that of, of the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And maybe you're in a state of apathy right now. You're so involved in the details of your own life that, that that you don't even have it you don't even take the time to to read your bible or or read a devotional or pray with your kids or or pray in general even yourself. I want to encourage you that if that's where you are this is the time this is the season right now to start seeking him as the magi did. I mean, let's take the time. Let's give the time. Apathy is truly a road to nowhere. Um, I I tried to come up with a a fun way of thinking of apathy. Because the word path is in there. What's a path? Why? Right? Is that apathy? I don't know. You know, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up there. Sort of an apathetic thought going through the motions, let's not just go through the motions. Let's seek. Let's surrender. Let's, let's believe. Let's, let's confess. As we approach the Christ of Christmas, the newborn King of the Jews, as the wise men chose to do on that first encounter with Jesus, may we worship Him. May we bow down before Him and offer Him gifts worthy of the King. Let's seek Him and bow before Him in worship. Now, we're going to close out our service today by observing communion. And, and in, the, in the Scriptures, uh, and in Jesus' time with His disciples, in the end of His life, that last Passover, He, he told them, look... I'm going to be leaving and this is something that I want you to do until I return again. And so he he took the bread at the Passover table and he broke it and then he passed it around to the guys and he says, this bread, you guys, this represents my body which is going to be broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake of this bread this morning, we say, I remember. I acknowledge that Jesus' body was broken for me. And we worship Him. And as we take this cup, as Jesus took the cup and He passed it around to His disciples, He said, guys, this, this represents my blood shed for you. When you drink of this, and I want you to drink of it often in the future, He said, when you drink of this, remember me. God knows us pretty well forget you know we get into habits or we get into to apathetic times in our lives and it's good to come before the communion table and, and re-remind ourselves why Jesus came in the first place to be broken to shed his blood for us but not to stay dead of course to rise again and conquer death to do away with it and, and when we surrender our life to him and we believe he comes in and he begins to build up that peace and that sense of joy and, and that sense of you know what, when we face things that are hard our response is to continue to worship and to trust now just as the Magi said we are on a long journey as people in our relationship with Christ we are on a long journey it's a, it's a day-by-day, step-by-step thing. But this morning, I have these two stations up here. And what I want you to do this morning is I, I want you to, in your mind, as you come up to get the elements, I want you to picture yourself as one of those magi coming before Jesus to worship. Maybe there's something you need to surrender. Maybe there's a gift, some sort of gift that you need to present to him. I mean he's speaking to your heart right now maybe you need to kneel at the altar and pray for a bit before you take the cup maybe take the cup and bread back to your seat and and just take some time and we've got ten minutes a couple songs to to finish our service with now you don't have to be a member of North Hills to participate in communion here but I certainly think you, you wouldn't participate if you didn't really believe that it was true so let me pray and then, as you're ready, go ahead and come up. Lord Jesus, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for these elements, this bread and this juice. And Lord, I pray that, that this would be a special time for us today, in this moment. As we remember, as we worship. Thanks for loving us. And for working in the details of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.